one. It is Luke with the pessimistic perspective. And I'm excited because there's all kinds of cool things, not really cool things, but all sorts of interesting things that we're going to be talking about today. And even though this is the pessimistic perspective, I want to start it off with some happy news. I would imagine that most of you who are listening to this probably know who Sheldon Adelson is, but just in case you don't, he is a billionaire casino mogul who spent $82 million during the 2016 presidential elections and $100 million to the GOP for its midterm races in 2018. And it just came out in the news within the past week that he is apparently apparently in dire health. And this all comes from his lawyer, who said so during a court hearing that was part of an ongoing case that's been going on for years, brought against Adelson by some sort of Hong Kong businessman. <laughs> um, so he is cancer. He has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And this is a condition that occurs, at least this is what Google tells me, that occurs when the body produces too many abnormal lymphocytes, a type of white blood cell. The symptoms include swollen lymph nodes, fever, belly pain, or chest pain. And all I can say is that I really hope that it does them in. The quicker, the better, the less damage that he can do. And so there's some good news. A real awful man is suffering. And that's always fun to hear. It's always a fun thing to hear when your enemies are doing poorly. And so, yes, Sheldon Adelson is a wealthy casino mogul who's both donated to, but most importantly, he is a devout Zionist. He used to be a huge contributor to APAC, but then he decided that they weren't Zionist enough for him. So now I believe that he does stuff with like the Zionist Organization of America, the ZOA, and has uh, started some other little Jewish-Israeli lobbying groups. And let me just give you, uh, let me read you a quote from Sheldon Adelson. He said this in 2010 while he was in Israel, and I believe at the time that he was a, the man behind Newt Gingrich <laughs> trying to get old Charmin Rollhead in the office. But uh, here's what he said when he was talking. And this is a quote. I am not Israeli. The uniform that I wore in the military, unfortunately, was not an Israeli uniform. It was an American uniform. Although my wife was in the IDF, and one of my daughters was in the IDF, and my two little boys, our two little boys, one of whom will be bar mitzvah tomorrow, hopefully he'll come back to Israel. His hobby is shooting, and he'll come back and be a sniper for the IDF. So... During World War II, I believe it was World War II, Sheldon Adelson was an American soldier. But, as he just said, he wished that he wasn't an American soldier. He'd much rather be in the IDF because, you know, it's much funner just shooting little kids or shooting off, you know, peaceful protesters and sniping journalists dead, you know. Lord forbid that they try and do something like throw rocks, these horrible, awful Palestinians. So that is something that shows you a little bit about who Sheldon 
Adelson is as a person. Adelson has been a close confidant of Donald Trump and has given him massive and has given massive amounts to his campaign. And he did this on the condition that the U.S. Embassy in Israel was relocated to Jerusalem. And for all of those of you who have been following U.S.-Israeli relations, that did happen. The U.S. Embassy in Israel was relocated to Jerusalem. Even though Jerusalem is the holy land for the three major monotheistic religions, not just the Jewish religion, but also Christianity and Islam, it is a holy site. So, Sheldon Adelson, hopefully he drops soon. At least on my end, he will not be missed. (laughs) This guy's just like the most gremlin-looking ass person I've ever seen. If you don't know what Sheldon Adelson looks like, I would say that you should go on Google Images, and I forewarned you, this guy is a troll. Some sort of troll who appeared out of the woodwork, a very ugly man, both inside and out. So, hopefully he dies. So, there is the optimistic perspective, and now let's get to some more. You know what? This is actually going to be probably a bit more of an optimistic episode in general, though, because that, um, that is not the only good story that is going on as far as the uh, Israeli-American relations front goes. But we're also going to be talking today about someone who we talked about last week. This is going to be follow-up to uh, last week when we talked about Congresswoman Ilhan Omar the Somali pirate in the body politic, our hijab heroine, Ilhan the prophet, astalam alaikum, peace be upon her. So yes, Ilhan Omar, last time we talked about her, she was under fire because of some things she said about the Israeli lobby in America. She quote tweeted something that Glenn Greenwald had tweeted, and when asked why uh, when Glenn asked why all these congressmen and stuff sell out their country in favor of uh, Israeli interests and stuff, she replied with it's all about the Benjamins. And then when questioned who's supplying the money, she said APAC. And then people tried to take what was a completely something that was not anti-Semitic at all. And they tried to conflate it with anti-Semitism and say that she was playing on Jewish tropes of them controlling the world with money and whatnot. But, as I'm sure most of you know, the Israeli lobby isn't simply a Jewish lobby, the Zionist lobby. There's also Christian Zionist, neoconservatives, and not all of them are Jewish, a lot of them are, but... Not all of them. So, this has all been an effort to conflate any criticism of Israel, any criticism of Zionism with anti-Semitism, and this has been going on for a while, but Ilhan Omar is one of the first people in Congress, one of the first people in U.S. politics as of recent to really bring any legitimate criticism 
of Israel to the table. Most of them have already bent over. They have all taken BB's big willy, small willy, I don't know. I don't know why I had to compliment him. But they've all they've all bent over for Israeli interests, but that kind of just shows you something about the sad, sad state of affairs in American politics to where we need a fucking Somali Muslim to bring up the real issues like the Israel lobby. And Ilhan Omar has made some further comments while she did apologize, and we went over that in the last podcast. Uh, she still said some things that have gotten her into trouble. I'm not sure where she was giving this speech or talk at, but here is another quote that got her into trouble. What I'm fearful of, because Rashida Tlaib and I are Muslim, that a lot of our Jewish colleagues, a lot of our constituents— a lot of our allies go to thinking that everything we say about Israel to be anti-Semitic because we are Muslim. And so to me, it's something that becomes designed to end the debate because you get in the space of, yes, I know what intolerance looks like. And I'm sensitive when someone says, the words you used, Ilhan, are resemblance of intolerance. And I am cautious of that, and I feel pained by that. But it's almost as if every single time we say something, regardless of what it is we say that is supposed to be about foreign policy— or engagement or advocacy about ending oppression or freeing of every human life and wanting dignity, we get to be labeled something, and that ends the discussion. Because we end up defending that, and nobody ever gets to have the broader debate of what is happening with Palestine. So for me, I want to talk about the political influence in this country that says it's okay for people to push for allegiance to a foreign country. That was a very important part of that. I want to talk about the political influence in this country that says it's okay for people to push allegiance to a foreign country. And I want to ask, why is it okay for me to talk about the influence of the NRA, of fossil fuel industries, or Big Pharma, and not talk about a powerful lobby? I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard the Voltaire quote that goes something to the extent of, find out who you can't criticize and that's who rules over you. <laughs> so anyways, when she said this recently, she said this after her tweets about how it's all about the Benjamins and whatnot. This just further enraged all the Zionist and the American corporate media, the mainstream media and politicians She's been denounced by Donald Trump, by people on the right, by people on the left like Nancy Pelosi and others who have, you know, condemned her statements and what she said. So, they're not really doing a whole lot to uh, suggest that, the, that her thesis is wrong, that this is a very contentious issue, that they try to silence any opposition to Israeli and Zionist factions in the American government, that if you speak out about the Israeli lobby, that you'll be silenced, that you'll be that you'll be silenced, that you'll be smeared, that your name will be dragged through the mud. And um, after she said these things, someone pulled up an old tweet of hers from 2012, in order to try and further drag her name through the mud, where she said. 
Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel. And I believe that when this was going on, this was one of the times when Israel was really dropping bombs heavy on Gaza and basically just committing massacres by the day. So you can understand where some of her anger and frustration is coming from. But nonetheless, this was used as, you know, further proof that this Somali Muslim is a is a neo-Nazi or something. I don't even know what they're trying to say, but that she's anti-Semitic. But what'd she say? Help them see the evil doings of Israel. She didn't say Jewish people. She didn't say anything of the sort. So this is just further trying to conflate the idea that any criticism of Israel, the Israeli lobby of Zionism, means that you're anti-Semitic. And this is a strategic move by Zionists, by neocons, in order to silence any discussion on the topic, because nobody wants to be labeled anti-Semitic. There's so much money that's floating around through Congress and whatnot already that it makes it hard to reject the money for these scumbag politicians. But then when you add on top of it that if you do criticize the Israel lobby or if you do criticize Israel, Zionism, that you will be labeled as anti-Semitic. And this isn't the first time that happened. This happened with Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney back in the day. Um... I can't remember the other guy's name who I was going to mention, but I mean, there's been a handful of people in government who have criticized Israel and the Israeli lobby and tried to share the influence that it has over U.S. electoral politics. But that never really ends up working out for them. They usually end up getting ousted out of their position, smeared as anti-Semitic by the media, and all of that horseshit. So it looks like uh, Ilhan Omar might be facing some more trouble. I mean, just this little tweet that she did, quoting Glenn Greenwald, has basically had her at the center of a lot of the mainstream media for the past few weeks. And it seems like all that they want to talk about is the increase in anti-Semitism. They keep referencing how the ADL has said that anti-Semitic hate crimes have rise, which I... I'm not sure about that. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, there's a good reason article saying that the reason that there's this alleged increase in anti-Semitic hate crimes is because of the way that these hate crimes and are, are being accounted for, that they have loosened what used to be the definition of anti-Semitic hate crime or whatever. And a lot of them, you know, like we saw uh, that... Uh, bomb threat to like a, a synagogue was called in by an Israeli teenager. They said that white power activists had gone and desecrated Jewish graves and then it ended up being a black guy and he really wasn't doing it because they were Jewish graves. He was just trying to, you know, raise some hell. And so a lot of it has to do with all in the way it's being counted. But that hasn't stopped them from taking further action and trying to silence any opposition to Israel, to Zionism, to the Jewish lobby, to the Zionist lobby, all of this. And we see that the, uh, I can't remember what his name is, but one of the top guys at the ADL has said that they have been working with Google and have created AI algorithms to try and detect anti-Semitic content on the internet and redirect people searching for so-called anti-Semitic things to good sources like, you know, the ADL. 
So it looks like Ilhan Omar's got some more fun in her future. So last Thursday, a 407 to 23 vote in the House of Representatives passed uh, this anti-hate resolution, which if you go read through it, I mean, it's got to be the most meaningless, difficult to read and follow thing ever. It's absolutely ridiculous. And initially it started as just condemning anti-Semitism, but they eventually... uh, extended the definition into things, everything from denouncing white nationalists, white supremacists to Islamophobia. And all the people who voted against it, the 23 Republicans who voted against it, they didn't even vote against it because they were against this resolution in general, but just because they only wanted to... uh, only wanted to include it as anti-Semitism under the resolution. They didn't want to have the Islamophobia and all that other stuff. So, yeah, I guess that's not so optimistic news. Um, Yeah, one congresswoman told Ilhan Omar that questioning support for U.S.-Israel relationship is unacceptable. That's a direct quote. So, how dare you wonder why this developed country, we give them $3.8 billion in aid a year. Don't question that. How dare you, you anti-Semite neo-Nazi. Another said, there are many reasons to support Israel, but there is no reason to oppose Israel. I mean, I guess if you're for murdering children, bulldozing people's houses down, and turning over their property to Jewish settlers. If you have no problem with the apartheid regime that's going on over there and all the discriminatory discriminatory laws that are put in place against Palestinians, yeah, I guess then if if you're for all those things, if you're for genocide, if you're for driving people away from their home, sniping babies, then yeah, then there is nothing to oppose. While yet another one declared that all in Congress are committed to ensuring that the United States and Israel stand as one. Senator Kristen Gillibrand of New York characteristically tried to cover both ends when she said, those of critical views of Israel, such as Congresswoman Omar, should be able to express their views without employing anti-Semitic tropes about money or influence. So if we're not allowed to talk about the Israel lobby, if we're not allowed to talk about the fact that they get money into the pockets of congressmen in order to influence politics, I mean, you, you restrict the discussion so much at that point. If that's not an acceptable thing to bring up, if that's an anti-Semitic trope, I mean, th- then, there's, then there's no hope. We can't even have a debate about the efficacy of uh, what, what's going on in the Israel lobby. So, I mean, that's absolutely retarded. <laughs> so ass backwards, I, you know, and it, I think she was like trying to extend an olive branch in some weird way, but it's like, no, you're, you're just as bad as all the other hardcore Zionists with that one. Omar said in an interview Friday about Obama, this is pretty cool. 
We can't only be upset with Trump. His policies are bad, but many of the people who came before him also had really bad policies. They just were more polished than he was. That's not what we should be looking for anymore. We don't want anybody to get away with murder because they are polished. We want to recognize the actual policies that are behind the pretty face and the smile. And what an astute observation by Ilhan Omar. I mean, between this, her grilling Elliot Abrams, I, I'm, I'm beginning to fall in love with, with this Somali princess. <laughs> and she's great. I mean, she's really shaking things up. But yeah, I mean, that is a very prescient point. All these liberals who are anti-war during the Bush years, I can't believe that you invaded Iraq under the false pretense of weapons of mass destruction and it led to the death of probably a million Iraqis, which is all true and good. But then Obama comes into office and he's smooth and polished. And then you see everything that happened in Syria under the Obama administration. In 2011, they overthrew the government of Muammar Gaddafi, and however you feel about Gaddafi, now look at what's fucking happening in Libya. We got the slave trade back again because, you know, we're liberating the people. And by liberating the people, we mean literally bringing slavery back to Libya to where they have open slave markets in Libya. You have terrorists, jihadists, who basically control the region, and now it's a, it, it's been pretty much a failed state ever since. So that's what all the liberation that the U.S. government brought to the people of Libya under Barack Obama. I want to say it was like, it, it was more than 20,000 drone strikes that he uh, d did each year or something absolutely ridiculous about that. So Obama actually ramped up the pro-war policies of Bush. We stayed in Iraq. We've stayed in Afghanistan. You know, we still have troops and bases all over the world. So whatever phony fucking bullshit that he had to say about, you know, I want to get us, my name's Barack Obama. I want to get us out of all these meaningless wars, all these never-ending wars or whatever he was saying back then. He wanted to have the most transparent administration in American history. And then what did he do? He locked up more whistleblowers than anyone else in American history. So that's just kind of the extent of the bullshit that was going on under the Obama administration. But all these liberals who had been super vocal in their opposition to George Bush didn't have anything to say about war once Barack Obama got into office. And so the anti-war left died off. And really, they haven't been back ever since then. They've been so caught up with the fucking Russiagate nonsense and their fantasies of getting Donald Trump impeached that they have been completely silent on all the real issues. Identity politics has become so popular on the left that, you know, we're too busy about talking about respecting whammons or uh, you know, where transgender people should go to the bathroom and all that shit that we can't actually have meaningful conversations with the left anymore about all the wars that are going on. They've completely abandoned the working class. So that is what the left has done as of recent. And so that was a very astute observation by Ilhan Omar 
The New York Times columnist Michelle Goldberg criticized Omar because of her, quote, minimizing the legacy of the Holocaust. Which, I mean, she didn't even say shit about the Holocaust. How, how weak, how lame. I'm so sick of hearing about the Holocaust. I'm truly, I truly am. I remember when, when I was a, a Christian schoolboy and, uh, they they had us read like three or four books on the Holocaust in one year, and it's like, what are you, what are you trying to get at here? Can we study any other historical event other than slavery and the Holocaust? I feel like that's all was ever talked about in history class. So I mean, what a weak, pathetic attempt to try and take something as awful as the Holocaust and politicize it to go after Ilhan Omar. I mean, she didn't say shit about the Holocaust. And if she's trying to imply that that has something to do with what she said about dual loyalty, no, it doesn't. You have all these people taking oaths to Israel during these, you know, all these congressmen taking oaths to Israel, taking all this money from APAC. We have Israeli dual citizens in our government and we can't and we can't ask questions like maybe you aren't being biased when it comes to the discussion of what's going on in Israel between Israel and Palestine and Israeli influence Zionist influence in American politics and I, I, I could keep going on with some of these quotes that I have written down but anyways I think you get the point that the media has been trying to smear this lady as an anti-Semite, as some sort of horrible, Jew-hating eliminationist, when all she simply tried to do was call attention to how it's okay that we talk about Big Pharma, about the NRA, the fossil fuel industry, any of these other lobbying groups, but as soon as you mention Israel, you get conflated in an anti-Semite. And I, I really do think it's becoming one of the most important issues of our time. And there was a Pew poll recently that said that support for Israel is the lowest that it has been in the past. But anyways, I had to go grab a charger real quick. And I also took a drink of water because when I listened back to some of the podcast last time, I realized that I was smacking a little bit, that my mouth got a little bit dry, so I also took a quick swig of water. But anyways, yes, Israeli support for Israel in America is the lowest that it's been in the past 10 years, and there's been, I believe, like something around a 10% decrease on people on the right and among the left. It's also the lowest that it's been in quite a while. So it seems like public perception is beginning to change a little bit on Israel, and possibly the best thing that Ilhan Omar has done is bringing this conversation, bringing this topic back into the mainstream media. And we've seen the polls about how much people trust the mainstream media anymore. We've been lied enough to the by the. Ugh. We've been lied to enough by the mainstream media. We heard about the weapons of mass destruction. You know, we heard back when I believe it was trying to invade Kuwait that they're ripping the babies out of incubators. We've heard about how Gaddafi was giving his soldiers Viagra so that way they could go fucking rape women and all these horrible lies and atrocity propaganda trying to get people to want to go 
invade another country, to support regime change in another country. We've been lied to time and time again. All the false chemical weapons narrative that we've been told about in Syria when it was really the CIA, Israeli-funded jihadists who were doing these chemical weapons attack, and then they would blame it on Bashar al-Assad. We saw the way that Venezuela was being covered, and we talked about that last week. So people no longer have trust in the mainstream media. And when they see how hard they're going after Ilhan Omar, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to look at the other side of the argument just because they know they're being fed a big pile of shit and they want to take whatever the opposite side of the mainstream media is. And I don't agree with Ilhan Omar on everything, but it is awesome that she is an actually true staunch anti-war leftist. It's great. I'm glad to see her talking about important issues, and I'm really, really glad to see her bring this issue of the Israel Israel lobby into the mainstream because it is something that has been neglected. It is so taboo. And so the fact that a fucking Somali Muslim woman is the only person in American government who has the cojones to bring this up shows you something about the state of the republic or the democracy that we have or whatever it is that you want to refer to it as. It's pathetic that she's the only one brave enough to stand up to it. It shows how much of, it shows how traitorous our leaders really are. And now we're going to talk about this fat little piglet named Megan McCain who, as you could probably guess if you didn't already know, is the daughter of the thankfully dead John McCain. Uh, man, that laugh might have just made it clip. Sorry if it did. But yes, Megan McCain, the daughter of the deceased, the, I'm so glad he's deceased, bomb, 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 I ran John McCain, the former senator and potential uh, someone who ran for president of the United States. Uh, we all know who John McCain is. And now she's on the cackling cunt hour, or the view, or however it is that you that you want to refer to it as the minstrel show. That is the view, and there's a reason it's called the view is because you only get one view, and that is the mainstream view. You're never going to see anything on the view that is going to go outside the realm of acceptable political thought. But recently she cried as she described her great love for uh, Joe Lieberman, the former U.S. senator, Israeli warmonger, just in general, not a very good guy, a neocom, and described him as like family before she launched her own uninformed analysis, uh, but she claimed informed analysis, of what Ilhan Omar had to say and the so... the, the, the proposed rise in anti-Semitism throughout the U.S. and Europe. And here is her quote, and you gotta, you guys gotta go watch the video of this fat little piggy crying on The View. It's great. It's just music to my ears. I could listen to that slob of a lady cry all day long, and it would be a pretty good day. But here's what she said on The View. I take the hate crimes rising in this country incredibly seriously. (laughs) 
And I think what's happening in Europe is really scary. On both sides, it should be called out. And just because I don't technically have Jewish family that are blood-related to me doesn't mean that I don't take this seriously. And it's very, very, very dangerous. What Ilhan Omar is doing is... What Ilhan Omar is saying is very scary to me. I mean, that she she's in hysterics as she's talking. And uh, I believe... If it wasn't the day when uh, Megan McCrane, M- Megan McCrane, Megan McCain cried on the View, then it was like the day before. But they had Barry Wise, the Zionist New York Times columnist, the new columnist, and you got to go see this dumb bitch on the Joe Rogan Experience. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Joe Rogan, but you know I've gained a little bit more respect for him ever since he, you know, kind of made a move in the direction of free speech by letting Alex Jones come on his podcast. And I thought it was cool seeing, uh, even though I think Tim Pole's kind of a a moderate fucktard, it was cool seeing him go up against Jack Dorsey and uh, the Twitter CEO and whoever that. Awfully horribly irritating Indian woman who he had with him on the show to criticize uh, some free speech issues on the platform of Twitter and you know conservatives and people holding contrarian points of view being deplatformed from there. So I thought that was cool of Joe Rogan to do recently, but go watch Barry Weiss on the Joe Rogan Experience. I mean. The fact that she works at the New York Times shows you how bankrupt they are. I mean, she is so stupid. And Joe, I mean, he's no genius, but I mean, he would just ask a simple question for her to justify her belief. And hearing her just smear Tulsi Gabbard on there, calling her an Assad apologist because she doesn't want to go in and, you know, decimate Syria like with what happened in Libya. And Joe Rogan, I mean, he's just asking these very simple questions, and just lets her hang herself with her own stupidity. And it's pretty funny to watch. And if you go look at the like-to-dislike ratio, I mean, it's like 30% of the people liked it, and then like 70%, if not more, disliked it. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. It's hard to find a video of that many views on YouTube with that strong of a dislike-to-like ratio. So that shows you that People aren't buying this shit anymore and that the days of the Zionist occupation of American government are numbered. We're winning, folks. That's my Alex Jones impression. But Alex Alex Jones isn't going to mention anything about Israel because, who knows, maybe they butter his bread. Maybe he's just another one of these dumb Christian Zionist conservatives. I don't really know. I don't really care. I do like Alex Jones to the extent that he is absolutely hysterical to watch. But no, I mean, when he said that the Chai Coms <laughs> run Hollywood, it's like, I think you got the wrong group there, buddy. But yeah, he says some pretty absurd stuff. But yeah, Megan McCain, this fat pig, uh, and, and then recently, I mean, this is just a, a sign out. I just kind of want to bring this up that this is funny. But Joy Behar recently kind of roasted her a little bit because they were having a discussion about Steve King, the whatever he is in government, who said he doesn't know how terms like white supremacy and 
you know, white identity and Western civilization have become naughty words or something to that extent. And people got all up in arms about it. And uh, they were having a talk about it on The View. And during this, uh, Meghan McCain was kind of being chastised by her on her position when it came to the issue. And she started crying and go, how could you call me racist when I'm John McCain's daughter? I'm not racist. My dad's John McCain. That same John McCain who you can go find images of him posing with Ukrainian neo-Nazis on Google Images, that John McCain, who helped get funding and arming to Ukrainian neo-Nazis so that way we could institute a coup into Ukraine in 2014, another one of those great humanitarian missions by Barack Obama. So yeah, Ilhan Omar was not wrong when she criticized Obama. And I wish that more people on the left could be honest about the policies of Obama and Bill Clinton and all the liberal predecessors beforehand and admit, yeah, these guys weren't consistent progressives. They weren't anti-war. They, you know, sold out the interest of their electorate. They didn't end up representing the people the way that they said they would. We're, I think Americans... At least they used to be sick of war. I don't know anymore. I mean, people from my generation are pretty much born into the age of the war on terror. So, I mean, we we don't know anything other than perpetual warfare. But really, I mean, America hasn't known anything besides perpetual warfare for a long time. I mean, you know, between the Cold War and what's going on now over in the Middle East and the war on terror, I mean, we were overthrowing Latin American countries and all the Iran-Contra shit and stuff that happened under Reagan. I mean, it, it's, it's been a while since we've been a peacetime nation. But yeah, I, I just thought that was really funny watching Megan McCain. I'm not racist. Look, at, I, I can't believe, I mean, I know they're all hysterical bitches on that show, but I mean, Megan McCain, I mean, she's particularly obnoxious. She made me like Joy fucking Behar for a second. That's how much Megan McCain sucks. And uh, this is just an interesting little anecdote. I mean, I could talk about how awful John McCain is all day long, believe me. But I just wanted to... Uh, I thought this was a funny little tidbit that you guys might enjoy. In his book, The Real McCain, Cliff Schechter writes that at a 1992 campaign stop with reporters nearby, McCain was joined by his wife, Cindy, and two campaign, two campaign aides. At one point, Cindy playfully twirled McCain's hair and said, You're getting a little thin up there. McCain's face reddened, and he responded, at least I don't plaster on the makeup like a trollop, you cunt. <laughs> a trollop, what an old school word, you hussy. But no, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's kind of like when Meghan McCain was crying on The View and had Joe Biden, uncle, good, good old uncle Joe Biden, your, your, your good old creepy uncle. You guys ought to go watch the videos of him molesting like little children on camera camera practically the way he hugs them and, and touches them it's downright creepy and we know from people like dennis hastert the uh, billionaire wall street investment banker jeffrey epstein who had connections to donald trump bill clinton kevin spacey who you know got 
me too, because Kevin Spacey came on to an underage boy. Um, yeah, we, we, we know that pedophilia is something in the elite. So yeah, that would not surprise me in the slightest that Joe Biden, but yeah, Joe Biden's comforting Megan McCain right after her dad died. And it's like, ugh. first of all, I, I would like to bathe in the tears of Megan McCain weeping over her shithead father. Uh, yeah, I don't even have a second to follow up with. I feel like that's a, a succinct enough definition. But anyways, yeah. John McCain sucks. Megan McCain sucks. What's new? That's nothing that you guys didn't know. But if you guys are looking for a, a, a pick-me-up, if you're having a hard day, go watch Megan McCain cry on The View over the so-called increase in anti-Semitism and people like Ilhan Omar trafficking these ideas. But yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess the views really been hitting the Zionist propaganda real hard. And uh, there might not be anything as annoying as the Barry wife. She's got to just be the most aggravating bitch ever. But listening to her talk about these issues is, uh, not only is it absolutely mind numbing and the depth of her thought is just so shallow and goofy but I mean, yeah, I mean, she's saying like, you know, anti-Semitism doesn't just exist on the far right. And it's easy to see that when these skinhead neo-Nazis are marching around Charlottesville saying Jews will not replace us, that's easy to spot as anti-Semitism. But oftentimes anti-Semitism exists on the left and it's done under the guise of, you know, human rights and helping the Palestinian people. No shithead. Maybe there's some people who actually just want to support human rights, who don't want to continue the genocide of the native population of the region, who don't want to drive these people off their homes to turn it over to Jewish settlers, who aren't cool with fucking IDF soldiers sniping babies. You can go look. They sell shirts in Israel where it has a pregnant Arab woman on it in the middle of crosshairs of a sniper rifle. And in Hebrew, it says one shot, two kills. And these shirts are worn by the Israeli people. You can watch pro-Israeli rallies. I, I, I believe I read just today that uh, Israeli journalists is facing getting locked up for quite a long time because she dared to call these IDF soldiers who were abusing and basically torturing these two people who they had in custody. She called them animals, and she said that the occupation of Palestine turns good people into animals, and it's true. You can see the tribalism that goes on over in Israel. You should go look at some of the reporting that Abby Martin has done for Empire Files over on the ground. Uh, I, I'll, I'll Maybe I'll link some of that in the show notes, which if you want to see some of the sources for all these things that I'm going to be talking about, you want to verify what it is that I'm saying or see where it is where I'm getting my information or my opinions from, I'm going to try and link to most of it. And... Oh, wait, one last thing before I move from the subject of Israel onto Venezuela and recap that, and then I'm going to be done with this episode. But um, if you guys did not watch after uh, what I, the video series I mentioned last week, The Lobby USA, this is so good. It shows you how the Israel lobby works. They, Al Jazeera has an undercover reporter invade, go sneak into the Israel lobby in details, in great detail. It's a four-part series, each episode's an hour long, about how 
the Israel lobby works and how they subvert American interest and how they get money to congressmen. It goes over how they have co-opted American Jewish student groups on American universities and how they are actually reporting on the people who support BDS on campuses to, like, the Israeli Foreign Ministry of Defense or some shit like that. I mean, it, it, it's it's crazy, and they just have a network of, of rats. They have wealthy donors like Sheldon Adelson. Hopefully he drops dead right now, um, who make it to where America keeps enabling the genocide of the Palestinian people, keeps supporting this apartheid theocratic ethno state. So yeah. Go check that out. And here's the thing, if you look up the lobby USA, YouTube has at least censored it on my computer and I've heard a lot of other people say the same thing. So you might have to type in the electronic intifada, the electronic intifada. That's the YouTube channel. If you scroll down their videos, you can find the lobby USA and it's great. Everyone needs to see it. I mean, hell, if you want, just stop the podcast right now and go watch The Lobby USA by the Electronic Intifada. It is maybe the—it is some of the best journalism that I've ever seen. It's absolutely fantastic, so you guys have to go check that out. And last, but not necessarily least— we're going to do a brief little recap on Venezuela. So last time we talked about Venezuela— We went over how the United States has been waging economic warfare against the Maduro government, how they have put all kinds of sanctions on them that have prevent medication from getting in there. It has affected the state oil company, PDVSA, where they get most of their money from as a country. Most of their wealth is derived from there. They have had, you know, stuff that's in Western banks, their money and gold reserves and whatnot seized and have threatened to give it over to the self-declared president, Juan Guaido, who's supposedly, we're told, the true democratic leader of Venezuela, even though he never ran for fucking office. And he's not even representative of the opposition, the people in the opposition. He's, he's not the most popular, so he doesn't even represent the opposition, much less the Venezuela people. The Carter Center has said that Venezuela has some of the most pristine elections, so don't let some asshat on CNN try and convince you that Maduro has somehow rigged the elections. The Carter uh, center for, you know, where they go. They say that Venezuela has some of the most pristine elections in all the world. You have to go and provide your thumbprint and a photo ID and all this stuff. So it's pretty much impossible for there to be voter fraud. All these people in the opposition, they say that the elections were rigged, but this last election they boycotted. And, you know, for some reason when, you know, some sort of opposition member won some sort of not one, but was elected into some sort of government position. Then they never contested the results of that election. But any time that the Chavistas, that Maduro or Chavez uh, won, you know, and we, we, we tried to overthrow Venezuela back in 2002. It was people like Elliot Abrams, who was involved in Iran-Contra, who used weapons to smuggle in humanitarian aid, yada, yada, yada. If you don't know what I'm talking about and you haven't listened to the last episode that I've done, go check that out. I'm going to go into a lot more depth in this, but this is really just going to be a recap of some of the more recent developments. I'm not sure if I mentioned this in my last podcast, but at the Columbia border, there was aid trucks brought in and 
these aid trucks caught fire, and the mainstream media was saying that these aid trucks were set on fire by the Maduro regime. I believe that they tried to say something as fucking ridiculous as, like, tear gas canisters or something somehow ignited these aid trucks on fire that were trying to be brought across the border from, I believe it was Colombia, into Venezuela, which was absolute bullshit. We had people like Max Blumenthal at the Gray Zone, who I talked about last time, who, you know, was trying to show that all these anti-government protesters, all these anti-Maduro protesters were lighting Molotov cocktails on fire, throwing them at the aid vehicles and whatnot. And so I don't know if I brought that up, but don't believe the mainstream media false flag that Maduro is some sort of awful dictator who's setting fire to aid and is trying to starve his people. He's actually been subsidizing food, trying to get it to his people, especially during the recent blackouts, which we're about to go over. And he's been accepting aid from places like Russia. He just doesn't want to accept aid from people like Elliot fucking Abrams, who used aid to smuggle in weapons, which we talked about last episode, so go check that stuff out. But anyways, I'm about to, uh, yeah, surprisingly enough, out of all people, the New York Times, the same people who employ that stupid, that, that, that dumb old lady, Barry Weiss, that same New York Times, actually reports some truth in an article titled, Footage Contradicts U.S. Claim That Nicholas Maduro Burned Aid Convoy. And I'm going to read a brief little snippet from this article. Unpublished footage obtained by the New York Times and previously released tapes, including footage released by the Colombian government, which has blamed Mr. Maduro for the fire, allowed for a reconstruction of the incident. It suggests that a Molotov cocktail thrown by an anti-government protester was the most likely trigger for the blaze. At one point, a homemade bomb made from a bottle is hurled toward the police who were blocking a bridge connecting Colombia and Venezuela to prevent the aid trucks from getting through. But the rag used to light the Molotov cocktail separates from the bottle, flying toward the aid truck instead. Half a minute later, that truck is in flames. The same protester can be seen 20 minutes earlier in a different video hitting another truck with a Molotov cocktail while setting it on fire. So, there you go. If you don't believe it from people in the alternative media... Like Max Blumenthal, maybe you'll believe the New York Times for some stupid fucking reason. But but there you go. And the video that the New York Times released, which I'm, I'm, I'm very surprised to see some establishment corporate mouthpiece publication like the New York Times published something like this. But uh, it, yeah, it, it's clear as day. You can see it. I didn't believe it from the beginning. Um, it did happen when I recorded the last podcast. It did happen by then, but I don't think for some reason that I mentioned it. But anyways, Maduro hasn't been, he's only been blocking aid from the U.S. He's not blocking aid from anybody else, and he didn't set the trucks on fire. It was anti-Maduro, anti-government protesters. And now when it comes to the blackout, there's a very good website that I linked to last time and I mentioned a little bit in the last podcast called Venezuela Analysis, which is based in Caracas, I believe. But if you want to get some of the best information when it comes to what is going on in Venezuela, a very informed perspective, go to VenezuelaAnalysis.com. They have really great stuff, but I'm going to read a couple paragraphs from an article that they wrote about the blackouts that have been going on in Venezuela that people like Mike Pompeo, uh, Mr. Mike, there is 
Hamas cells in Venezuela, Pompeo. But anyways, here is what Venezuela analysis has to say. An electricity blackout has affected most of Venezuela for several days after an alleged cyber attack crashed the country's main electricity generator, the Simón de Simone Bolivar Hydroelectric Plant in Bolivar State, commonly known as the Guri Dam. On Saturday, President Maduro told crowds at the end of a pro-government rally that a large-scale attack against the country's electric infrastructure had taken place on Thursday afternoon. He pointed the finger at the U.S., stressing the high level of sophistication of the alleged aggression and adding that efforts to restore power were set back by a new cyber attack on Saturday morning. Maduro announced that he was ordering a massive distribution of food and drinkable water starting Monday. What a horrible dictator. As well as efforts to secure the normal functioning of hospitals. Water Minister Evelyn Vasquez announced on Sunday that water tanks were being deployed while the water pumping system was getting up to speed. So, yeah, I, I, I tend to believe Maduro here, given the extent of American lies, the U.S. government's lies, the Trump administration, Elliot Abrams, John Bolton, Mike Pompeo, all these dirty son of a bitches. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to believe Maduro and the people in the, the people of the Venezuelan government that aren't these opposition asshat CIA funded State Department funded plants like Juan Guaido. Yeah, I, I take Maduro's word in this argument. And once again, this is not a good New York Times article, but I will still link it to you. But it had a brief little snippet of truth that I thought was interesting when reading through it. It's buried like 12 or 13 paragraphs into it. But as the New York Times had buried at the bottom of one of their articles, quote, the sanctions have affected Venezuela's ability to import and produce the fuel required by the thermal power plants that could have backed up the Guri plant once it failed. So, once again, it was most likely the United States who targeted the Guri Dam in the first place, this electricity generator, and through some sort of cyber attack, some sort of cyber attack managed to uh, take out the uh, main electricity generator and create this blackout and then blame it on Maduro. And even if you don't buy that, well, the sanctions that we have placed still affect the people of Venezuela. Oh, but I thought these were the smart sanctions where, you know, we don't kill anybody. We only hurt the rich, powerful people in Venezuela. And by the way, the rich, powerful people in Venezuela, they aren't the Chavistas. They're all these opposition asshats who want to get rid of socialism, who want to come in. They want to privatize the oil so that way they can sell it to their American buddies, have sit go come in. The Koch brothers can get rich and take all this oil back to their refinery. It's just... It's absolute dog shit what we're being fed about Venezuela and the mainstream media. But nonetheless, for their, U for their part, U.S. officials blame the Maduro government for the blackout, with Secretary of State Mom Mike Pompeo tweeting, No food. No medicine. Now, no power. Next, no Maduro. Venezuelan officials have pointed to tweets by Pompeo, Florida Senator Marco Rubio. Yeah, Marco Rubio's been posting pictures of... Muammar Gaddafi right after he got his ass shanked with a bayonet after he got turned over to CIA Israel-funded jihadist over in Libya. You can go find the video online and you can see how much of a sadistic, twisted little bastard Marco Rubio is to tweet this and, you know, threaten Maduro with, you're next, man. 
and other U.S. leaders as evidence of a U.S. hand behind the blackout, though further evidence has yet to be made public. So, I mean, I guess that it is not settled as of right now, but I would put a good amount of money that the U.S. is somehow responsible for the blackout, or, or maybe Israel. They've got a growing uh, cyber cybersecurity industry and, uh, the, you know, cyber warfare, and they've been getting pretty technologically developed, so maybe Israel did it at the behest of America, but I would imagine that America probably factors in some way into this analysis. In January, the State Department ordered all non-emergency government employees to depart from Venezuela amid an ongoing diplomatic crisis in the country. And Pompeo announced just recently the withdrawal of the remaining U.S. diplomats from Venezuela and tweeted, quote, Like the January 24th decision to withdraw all dependents and reduce embassy staff to a minimum, this decision reflects the deteriorating situation in Venezuela, as well as the conclusion that the presence of U.S. diplomatic staff at the embassy has become a constraint on U.S. policy. Why is it a constraint on U.S. policy to have U.S. diplomats there in the embassy? Could it be that we're going to further ramp up the effort at regime change in Venezuela? Could there be a possible plan for boots on the ground? I mean, it was a it was a while ago, probably three weeks, maybe even a month ago, where John Bolton was walking out of a meeting, and I forgot what the exact number was. I want to say like 2,600 soldiers on Colombian border or something like this. And this asshole had the notebook facing outward. And John Bolton, he's one of these sly motherfuckers who, he, he's not like a Trump. He's not like a Rubio. John Bolton's a smart guy. Or at least that's the impression I get from him. And so I don't think that it was an accident that he had his... I think that was some sort of psychological warfare. I think he knew that would get reported in the media and that it would somehow get back to the Venezuelan officials and that would help put further fear into them. So, yeah, I think that was some sort of effort at psychological warfare. But that pretty much catches us up to date on Venezuela and what's been going on with Ilhan Omar. It gave us a fun little chance for, uh, or at least gave me a fun little chance to make fun of the uh, Piggy McCain. And uh, yeah, relish in the bad health of Sheldon Adelson. Hopefully he drops like John McCain. I hope John McCain's brain tumor made him suffer and brought him a lot of pain as I hope that the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma that Adelson has does so to him. So, yeah, that's it. Astamam alaikum. Long live the prophet Ilhan. Peace be upon her. You guys take care. I will talk to you all soon. Oh, and I submitted the podcast to iTunes And I'm going to plan on making social media and stuff, so look out for all of that. I'm going to try and make this bigger and better and uh, try and get it to where it's really interactive with you guys. And so let me know if there's anything that you guys would like me to talk about, any issues that you would like me to address. But yeah, that's all I've got for the moment. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Bye-bye.